Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's up, everybody? We have an extra special episode for you here today because this episode happens to be numero 100, a century, if you will. And Mark has just finished crushing a monster. He hasn't had any any other food prior to this, so we're going to see how that works out for him. But across the table from Mark and I, we have Ruben, frequent guest many times prior to this. We have Ryan Muckenhern, also a frequent guest, and Eric Barber, who is now checking the nutrition label on that Monster Energy drink that Mark has been uh, indulging in. <laughs> so, MC Ryan over there is going to be running a countdown clock because what we're going to bring to you guys is almost a, uh, for any ESPN fans out there, it's a similar theme to Pardon the Interruption. We have a series of 10-minute talks that we're going to be bringing to you. And uh, this little screen over here is going to tell us how much time we have left and when we've gone over and things like that. And we're just going to keep rapid-firing a couple of great topics at you. Might talk a little bit about... Some great cartridges, grilling, three-gun, and CWD. So, you know, there's a big teaser thrown out All things that go together. Uh, All right, MC Ryan, I'd say you can probably kick this thing off, and then we're just going to... We don't actually know the order exactly of the topics right now, so we kind of have an idea, but... Spin the wheel. I'm getting nervous. Topic one, make the 30-06 great again. This one has been near and dear to all of our hearts around the office. It's one uh, an idea that we've had for quite some time now, discussing how great the 30-06 is. Ryan, you frequently join us for 10-minute talks about cartridges. Why don't you kick us off on the etymology, if you will, of the 30-06 The year quick. is 1903. Oh. A cartridge adopted by the United States military, the 30-US, or 30-03 as it was called, needed an improvement over the 3040 Craig, which was an improvement over the 4570. 30.03, round nose bullet, kind of a, a different uh, propellant burn rate, improved in 1906 as the 30 government model 1906, abbreviated 3006. Gosh, can you imagine if they never improved it? We'd be saying 30 out three, and it doesn't uh, sound right. Yeah. Originally chambered puked. in the 1903 <laughs> Springfield rifle, which was a bolt action, then later into the 1917 Lee Enfield. And then into the forever famous M1 Garand semi-automatic battle rifle, one of the yes, one of the iconic. most successful cartridges of all time. Um, spawned some phenomenal cartridges from it. We did a a, a talk on the twenty five odd six cartridges like that, the two seventy, the two eighty twenty seven odd six, the three oh eight, the three oh eight. Eventually, yep, in the form of what was called the T sixty five, and then the three oh eight. Basically, shortened version of the 30-odd-6 to somewhat duplicate the performance in a smaller, lighter package. I think, as far as big game cartridges go, if somebody were to call up and say, I need to buy one rifle, and it's all I can afford or all my wife will allow me to afford. 300 um, wisdom. Would be the 30-odd-6 Springfield. We talked about this ahead of time. Come the, on. We're only monster, two minutes the into talking. the episode. Oh, jeez. Continue. Ah, who gave him this? Jekyll and Hyde over there. <laughs> in, in terms of versatility, it is the... It is the probably most versatile cartridge out there. You can load it down with lightweight projectiles. You can load it up with heavyweights. It has taken all big game animals on the planet. There was a gentleman, maybe he's still alive, that took them all with the thirty out six. Um, it didn't. Uh, didn't Teddy Roosevelt or his son or something use a thirty out six and a pretty sweet lever gun? 
and they went on some so crazy the, uh, the eight, African safaris and such. The 1895 Winchester would then later be chambered in 30 out six, as well as a smattering of other cartridges. TR, what's the word for icon and then sensationalized, um, immortalized the 1895 uh, yes. mm. in 405 Winchester, which he dubbed uh, his lion medicine. Uh, it was a great rifle, um, and then later chambered in, in 30 out six. was a a great option. I don't think TR had anything to do with that. Uh, but no, my bad. Yeah, that's that's good. He would, uh, but he would have. Though. He would have. Yeah, it would have yeah. made sense. He said, "Speak softly and carry a big stick." It's a big stick. Speak softly and carry a thirty out six. Why yeah. do? Why does oh, the thirty out six? Yeah. Why does the thirty out six get such a? I'm going to say it right now. It gets a bad rap for being just sort of a big. It reminds me of like somebody talking about the old IROC Z, you know, or something like that. It's a big lazy V8. You know, that's it, what a lot of people describe it as. I think it's inaccurate, sort of just, you know, a little bit hillbilly, kind of just 30 out six. You I know, think, like, I think when things are good, people look for things to complain about, right? Because yeah. things are good. And so, you know, if we look into the 50s when, when we started getting some pretty fast stepping cartridges hitting the scene, or even, even further back than that, the 20s and 30s, when like Holland and Holland came out with their Super 30 or otherwise known as the 300 Holland and Holland. You know, it did things better than the Ot 6 did at the time. And then fast forward, we've got the 300 Win Mag, the 300 Weatherby Mag, the 7 Rem Mag. We get into Magnum Mania into the 70s and 80s. And it looks on paper like kind of a slouch and really Mm. an anemic cartridge. Fast forward now to modern propellant and bullet technology. And we have in front of us a box of Hornady Superformance uh, factory ammo. We're pushing a 180-grain GMX bullet. So what's cool about this, it's a homogenous bullet design, 95% copper, 5% gilding metal. So, like, go through any bone you could punch it through. Okay, okay. We're, we're pushing this thing at 2820. So we are well into the realm of 300 wind mag as far as horsepower is concerned. That is faster than my 6.5 Creedmoor shoots. Oh, yeah. And now we're, we're into a cartridge that is offering you the bone crush benefits of a 300 Win Mag or 300 Wisdom for Marco in a far more palatable cartridge. So it's not going to beat you up as much in a lighter rifle, in a yeah. handier rifle. Don't need to use a Magnum Action. No. And you can flip over rocks in many countries and find 30-06 growing naturally. Hmm. Yeah. And... Hmm. How which, can you, co- which countries are those? That sounds like a great place to live. Right, exactly. America. I mean, America. Weather, weather. <laughs> I was looking for morels, and all I found was odd six. Thirty out six plant. And some people would walk by that thing. Well, it's just odd six. No, it's just. I think right. Ryan, part of it. It's not new. It's no. not. It's not new. No. It's not hot. It's not sexy. But uh, maybe that's it, what makes it sexy now. Yeah. Because yes. everybody's forgotten about it, so if you go and shoot thirty out six, you can be the new. It's retro. The new retro sexy. Mm-hmm. Well, and like you said, Ryan. Talk about versatility. Load it down, load it mm-hmm. up, small bullets, big bullets. I mean, I would feel confident shooting this particular load at anything on the planet up to, I'd say, 500 yards. You know, maybe maybe not brown bears at 500 yards, but I wouldn't hesitate to shoot a brown bear with a 30 out 6 Can I... Can I ask real quick? So I know one of the knocks it gets against it from people who, you know, shoot the 308. You can get the 308 in a short action, right? Yeah. And this has to be a long action, Correct. if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of people, they say, essentially it seems as though if you can get it in a short action, absolutely do. Because the long action, they just, you know, long action sucks, whatever. Is that just because it just takes like a half a second longer to rack the bolt? I, I, I've heard so many different arguments for a short action via long action 
from it takes me longer to cycle the bolt when the whitetail is charging um, to, <laughs> mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the action is going to flex and there's like a higher degree of accuracy to a short action. Oh, to sounds made up. You can short stroke it or, I mean, any number of things. I want to point to a rifle that I'm very fond of, the Tika T3. Very popular rifle. I know a lot of guys that own a lot of them. I own a lot of them. Mm-hmm. They're all the same action length. It's long. Wait a minute. Even the sh- even the short action ones. Yep. The short action ones are long. They're all the same action. Same. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so with that being said, like, well, that, that was moot point. Moving yeah. on. Let's and look I, at a I really got a, good card. I got a, another point, I think, that goes into why a lot of people have maybe, maybe would look at a cartridge that was developed a long time ago and point out why maybe a 300 Wisdom is better than this or something like that. If you look at a lot of the cartridges that are coming out today, uh, we'll talk a uh, 6.5 PRC, 6.5 Creedmoor, any of the new Nosler cartridges, right? I think that when you look at those, a cartridge like a 30 6 looking at a rifle that's probably chambered in, what, a 12 twist, an 11 twist? Yep. And as barrel twist rates, people are finding out that a lot of the times a faster twist rate is better to stabilize the bullet. There's really not any negative side of that unless you start pushing a really light jacketed, light weight bullet really fast, mm, and yeah. at which point you could have a jacket come off and jacket separation. So I think a lot of times you might look at this cartridge and say, okay, 180 grain bullet, that's pretty heavy. Uh, if you were the type of guy that's into long range shooting and you're using like an applied ballistic software or something, they might tell you that a 10 or 11 twist isn't really stabilizing that bullet enough. Now you look at a cartridge that comes out like a 300 PRC or a 300 Wisdom or something like that, or 30 Nosler, they might not be pushing that bullet, the same bullet that much faster, but since it's a new cartridge, firearms manufacturers are only twisting that barrel in a very specific twist for that bullet. So when people look at something like the 30-06 and say, well, it's not a very good long-range cartridge, well, it's probably not a great long-range cartridge if you're shooting in an 11-twist barrel. I just uh, built a 308 in an 8-twist. Which right? is shooting basically so the it's same stabilizing, bullet. Right? It's shooting the same bullet, but it's stabilizing it better. So interesting. anything that's in a new cartridge is probably going to be a faster twist or a more modern twist rate, like a 243 and a 6 Creedmoor. Me and Ryan talk about this all the time, and we're down to pretty close to the end, but they're they're shooting the same bullet at the same velocity. Right. Every factory rifle off the shelf right now in 6 Creedmoor is probably a a 7.5 twist versus every factory 243 is probably a 10 or an 11 twist. Maybe if you get lucky, it's a 9 twist. Right. And now manufacturers of ammunition are also not going to shoot to push the limits on the ammo. You don't you shouldn't shoot superformance in your 1903 Springfield right. because the pressures are higher. You should shoot mm-hmm. in a modern firearm. So, when you look at some of these new cartridges, might not be that the cartridge is that much better, it just might be that ammo manufacturers are specking out the SAMI spec for the pressure and the twist rate and everything like that with those firearms manufacturers for that new modern cartridge. Got one more quick comparison. So, I took pick a very popular cartridge nowadays. 6.5 Creedmoor. Yes, sir. So, Ryan, I compared uh, some Hornady ammunition here. I've got the 30-06 loaded with a 178-grain ELDX mm-hmm. and a 6.5 Creedmoor loaded with a 143-grain ELDX mm. drop at 500 yards, which I think is a very responsible hunting distance. Okay. 44.8 with the 178-grain out of the 06 
44.4 out of the 6.5 Creed. Is that inches or mills? or? Uh, those are inches. Boy, that would be excessive mills to, to drop at 500 yards. I didn't think of that before. So you're looking at a difference <laughs> of 0.4 inches at 500 yards. That's it. Yeah, and it boils down to it's not only inches, but it's also the recoil and the energy and how it does pass that distance for target shooting. So nobody's bashing it. It's just uh, uh, that's fair. Some, that's fair. some things are designed for a reason. All right, we've already gone a minute over on our first one. MC Ryan, let's queue up the next one. And here we go, the moment of truth. What do we have? Will CWD turn humans into zombies? Yes. Yes. Do you guys topic. think so? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you have uh, some thoughts on this. You've been in the yes. realm of the, uh, what do we say? Can you say it? Is it? Are you allowed to say it? You've yes. been in the realm of the DNR yep. in the past. In and, the chronic world. Uh, you have talked with many different folks with many different uh, <laughs> the chronic opinions on yeah. CWD and how it will <laughs> affect all when, of us. When's your new album come out? <laughs> Next week. <laughs> so... Um, Dirty Rick. What are the thoughts out there? Like, what are the differing opinions out there? Because some people, why is CWD such a touchy subject? Can we talk about that at first? The reason I think that it's such a touchy subject is there's so little information available out there about it right now today. So it's it's a disease that's been on the landscape for for decades, but the known the 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 research that that has. we're in the infancy stages of finding out more about it. There's right. a lot of studies right now that are going on that are maybe four or five years deep that still can't draw definitive conclusions for you know years and years into the future. Yeah, four or five years deep isn't that long for no. a study about a disease nobody knows anything it's, about. Especially when you think about how long deer have been on the landscape and in areas where, like here in southwest Wisconsin, where we just have so many of them on the landscape, it also becomes an issue of not only biological proportion, but also soci- sociological proportions. So people have their own thoughts about deer management, how they want to manipulate that. Everyone wants to shoot their deer. We're on the you know doorstep of gun deer season here in Wisconsin, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be going to the woods wanting to put a deer in their freezer. And if the solution to better monitoring CWD is reducing the number of deer on that available for harvest, people are obviously going to have a passionate reaction to that. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, there's just a lot of unknown. We need the, the best thing I think that we can do as a, a hunting community is contribute to that research. So get your deer tested. It's a free service. The, the state agencies are taking, I think it's like a 80 to $150 hit every time they do a deer test, a, a, a CWD test. And that's free of charge for you as the hunter. So take advantage of that. That's free money in your pocket. And when you see a, a deer with CWD, they basically do kind of, it's like deer zombie. They well, look no different than a healthy deer. Well, depending on what stage depending of progression they're in. Yep. Okay, so yeah. let's right. focus on that buck that you killed last year. Because mm-hmm. that one was, you, you made a, a really good point with that deer. Yep. So th- that was a deer that I shot on opening day of bow season. You wouldn't be able to look at that and point out any differences from that one to, you know, any other deer that, that you would have seen. Looked totally healthy, very plump, you know, round bodied, fat, mature buck. And how was he acting when you shot him? Very and, much and like a normal 
Yep. I don't want to die, dear. Yep. So, and the crazy thing about that is it doesn't exhibit its shown characteristics until the last, you know, the very end. So it takes mm-hmm. about 18 months of, for that incubation period to finally come out and, 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 you know, ultimately result in the deer's demise. And up until that very end, the deer acts very normal. It might lose a little bit, wa- little bit of weight in those last few weeks and kind of start to droop its head, salivate a lot. But for 14 out of the you know, out of that, that time frame, the deer is going to act very normal. And, and that's the, that's the, the tricky thing when it comes to identifying these animals. So that's why you've seen a lot of, I don't want to say calling, but tactics where it's just shooting a lot of deer, issuing a lot of excess doe tags. And people obviously react to that because that means there's less deer out there for mm-hmm. you and I. So what you're saying is probably a lot of people out there have shot deer and just probably gone about their entire regular process of processing it process of processing it mm-hmm. and uh probably have even eaten cw probably oh yeah. oh yeah i mean i think well, i probably you, have if you take time. a look too it's like the species barriers what they're one of the biggest concerns is right is yep. can it jump to a different species and that's uh, the big unknown yep uh is 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 it going to jump to different species and like i think currently there's really no evidence that it can Correct. but there's also not any mm-hmm. evidence that it can't mm-hmm. so that that's that's a big concern and so to go to your point, Jim, a lot of people are eating it because they don't, and then they don't know if they're eating it, but it's the testing is not mandatory right now in mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And so if you go to a meat processor and you drop off your deer and they're like, do you want to test it for CWD? And you're like, well, I'm not worried about it. I don't care. They take your deer and they clean it up on the same equipment that they clean up the guy who's like, oh yeah, I'm super worried about it. I want it tested. Yep. Oh. And then when you get sausage or jerky or anything made from that place, they're taking bulk. Most places, I won't say all of them, but yep. most places are not going to take just your 22 pounds of scrap off of your deer or trim. Right. They're going to take all of those people that came in. Some wanted their deer tested and some didn't want their tested. Batch grinded. They put it in a mm-hmm. big batch and they grind it all together and they say, okay, Jimmy ordered 10 pounds of summer sausage and two pounds of brats and this, and they go in the freezer and they grab it out and they put it in a bag for you. It's not a boutique mm-hmm. meat processing process anywhere that I know of, unless you go to a very specific place that says you get your deer back. Right. Oh, wow. I you're going to get your own that. steaks, you're going to get your own chops and your own roasts, but you're probably not going to get your own meat. Yep. So you're dealing with the guy who didn't want it tested. Either. Exactly. And, and really, today, we're dealing with a, an entire lifestyle change. Deer hunting's been around for over 100 years, and in that time frame, we haven't had historically worried about, okay, I shot this deer in northern Wisconsin, and now I'm taking it across the border to Michigan or Minnesota, whatever. That never really used to be a concern. Now there's laws and rules that are being put into place that are literally affecting the way that we as hunters have to act. And anytime you take a, a, a change, whether that's in the hunting world or in your day-to-day routine and make it abruptly different, it takes a while for you to get accustomed to that. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say, yeah, like you said, hunting in particular is wrapped in tradition, right? People mm-hmm. have a way they like to do things, a way they know how to do things. And when you make a change or any changes, you know, heck, I dropped a carcass off in a, in a deer designated deer dumpster today Mm -hmm. you know that's you know its intended purpose is to limit cwd potentially infected parts Mm -hmm. on our landscape how does that work you just dump it in a dumpster did you process it yet or no you just dumped the so yeah i processed the deer and then all of the bones and you know that went into the dumpster okay 
And that's different. I mean, I've been deer hunting since I was 12, I guess. In Minnesota, we can start hunting, join an adult that's hunting mm-hmm. at that age. So that's, I'm 31. So it's been a, a little while. And the fact that we're dropping carcasses in a dumpster is mm-hmm. bizarre. It is. But, <laughs> it but is. that's right. one thing you can do as a hunter to help, like, stop the potential spread. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. And, you it's know, to Eric's point to earlier, when mm-hmm. I go in the woods, I want to see deer. I want to shoot deer. I want to eat deer, you know. But I think we do need to recognize that this is an issue. Now I'm probably getting super preachy, so my apologies. But, like, as hunters, we like to call ourselves conservationists, right? Mm-hmm. And as much as, like, I want to see deer and shoot deer and eat deer, if the science said we need to reduce the number of deer on the landscape, I would be for that, for the deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. Some, if somebody told you right now, like, the proliferation of the species will continue indefinitely without um, negative impact if you hung it up, or if you kept going, they're going to go extinct. And I wouldn't like it, but I'd have to say yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Beca- and that's what it means. And, and I think the hard part for me is when I hear guys say, like, well, I'm going to be dead in 40 years or 60 exactly. years or whatever, so I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's, that's, that's, not, that's not a good approach to this because it's, well, it's not up to us to, to get to say, we, well, just screw it. We don't care. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, what does Doug Darren always say? It's not ours. It's just our turn. Yep. 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 Oh, yeah. Now, with a uh, minute and 20 left, guys, we do have to ask ourselves, will it, let's say it does become, you know, it, it carries on, it gets even worse, will it turn humans into zombies? So because, yet, because you have, what, you've had Ebola, you've had mad cow disease, you've had bird flu, swine flu. Mm-hmm. I've seen things. 28 Days Later. So in, yeah, will I, it just, be, will I just watched that. It won't and be you know World War of. CWD. It yeah. won't be In World ESPN War Z. Style, we need to just, everybody has to say their opinion. It won't be World War Z. It'll be World War CWD. Mark, mm-hmm. you're up. All right, here's the deal. Has it jumped the species barrier yet? No. Or at least not that we're aware of, right? And I'd say no. If it does, we've got big, big effing problems. Big. Yes. yes. Eric? It already is in the in the deer world. It just hasn't hit us yet. Cooper even touched noses with that one mm-hmm. deer, didn't he? Is he fine, the dog? Cooper, He's fine. Cooper yep. the dog? He's yep. fine. Dude, I don't want to create pandemonium, but I would say, like, end of the world. All right, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> will it turn Nobody people, panic. We're all going to die. Will it turn people into zombies if it's real? Yes. Mm-hmm. If it turns deer into zombies, it'll turn people into zombies, yep. too, if it jumps a species barrier. Yep. <sighs> Rube. I, I don't think it'll turn deer into zombies, people into zombies, because I've seen a lot of different diseases in deer, like EHD, blue tongue, whatever. They don't turn into zombies. They just die, and it's a slow, painful death, and it sucks. And it's like any disease that you get at the end phases, you're just going to die. Well, but okay. here's, All right. here's All the right. zombie thing, right? Do the deer come back to life after they die? No. Do we, they how just do we die. know, though? Okay, well, how do we know? That's yeah. right. Zombies, That's the undead, comes back, starts biting people. I've watched all the zombie movies. That's okay. a cliffhanger. And on that it note, doesn't, it just, you just die. Cliffhanger, come back, dead. come back for the sequel. Uh, <sighs> okay, MC Ryan, on to the next topic. Let's see what we got. Blood yes. pressure is, uh, Yeah, nope. this is very exhilarating. What's your dream three-gun setup, or what is your three-gun setup if you didn't have a budget? This one came up. It was a listener request because we did, with Dave Hartman of the Three Gun Show, we did a special where we did the Classifieds Three Gunner, where we basically went through and tried having a designated budget, tried to build out a full three gun setup on the relative cheap, if you will, uh, but one that would do the job. Of course, we have Ruben here, big three gunner. Ryan, you've done some three gunning. Eric has done some three gunning. I have. Mark, you haven't. But anyway, let's discuss. Uh, Rube, you might be the best person to start, but we'll all pitch in on this. If you had unlimited budget, 
what are you doing for your three gun setup that's going to be so special? Buy good gear from good manufacturers, whether that's a good pistol from Hayes or any number of companies, Atlas, STI. There's a lot of good pistols out there. There's a lot of good shotguns out there. You, you got Dissident. You got guys like Mark oh, yeah, Ross. Fancy AK shotguns. Got, yeah, you got all kinds of good shotguns out there. So buy good gear. Buy good rifle. Use a good barrel. Buy good ammo. But I'm going to take this in a different direction. I think one of my biggest things for a dream three-gun setup goes back to when me and Ryan were shooting a lot of three-gun together. And I think it goes into your vehicle that you drive. Mm. Your Mm. The gear you bring mm. with you to be comfortable on the range. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, so explain that. How does the vehicle yeah, you drive? Yeah, so, what does that so have to do with the three Dream gun? 3 gun setup doesn't just mean the guns. It's the shoes. It's being able to buy good ammo, and it's the shoes and a good belt. The shoes? Yeah, you go so, through shoes like you wouldn't believe. Okay. We're going to go back in time to the, I guess, the introduction of the Solomon Speed Cross 3 onto the three-gun platform. <laughs> all right. Because we were all out there running around with combat boots on. Yeah. Really we, not good for fast movement and changes of direction. You know that scene on the Sandlot when Benny's talking about the Converse All-Stars? Or they weren't called Converse All-Stars. Yeah, they, they were just some, called some Converses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Speed Cross 3, to Ruben's point, took a mediocre three-gunner and made him semi-pro. Strapping Just on by a pair of those. simply putting on those shoes. That alone, what you had better grip, lighter weight, Shop made better, a kid better. jump run higher, faster. <laughs> run faster. True might story, though. Okay. Might as well have all been right. a cape. And you're saying a better belt? What does that hold your yep. pants up good, and all your good stuff? Gear, yeah. Holsters and mag pouches and caddies for your shotgun shells. Buy good magazines. Buy good base pads. But also look at stuff like your rig that you're going to matches in. Yeah, you got to talk have, about that because now gotta, I'm I'm interested. It's, you know, you see guys driving up and they're like pulling everything out of a little car. And it's just not ideal. You want to be able to work out of this thing. You want to have a, is the ideal three-gun thing. Now, here's a here's this question. A lot of three-gunners, a lot of three-gunners push their gear around a little baby cart, right? Yeah, that's part of it. You and need so, a good cart. So now are we also saying that not only are you going to be pushing around a baby cart at three-gun matches, but you're also going to be showing up in a minivan? I'm talking oh, no. about and then, and, then, no. and then what next? Are you gonna be are you gonna be showing up with like Yeah, maybe maybe like a rattle, maybe a binky. <laughs> Look, okay. Now they're just poking and fun a car at seat. Sometimes for- it sometimes it boils down to the fact that happy wife, happy life. Okay. <laughs> so make sure you got a place with some nice seats, a spectator area with a little tent for your wife and kids to come watch you, or for your husband and kids if you're the wife that's doing the shooting. Whatever it is, I don't care. You want them to be comfortable because otherwise you're going to get home and it's going to be late and you're They're tired because you've been, you've been sprinting all day on the, on the three gun course. This is this is all encompassing. Eric is actually okay? writing notes. You want yep. you we need a you good vehicle to work out of. I would suggest something like a mid sized SUV to a pickup truck with a topper somewhere in that region. You can do it out of a mini. It's not. Yeah, topper's a good thing. topper. That's my dad, built, my dad built Sawyer toppers for 35 years. Oh, toppers. Yeah, I'm so adamantly yeah, two hours ago. Okay. Yep. And a lot of people look at these things and they're like, you know, I, I can do it out of my Corolla. You can do it, but you can't do it well. Okay. You're going to want to make sure you got a good vehicle to work out of. Your three gun rig. What about if one of those renting, things? Have you seen those decks? I got a deck. Oh, I got man. a deck. They're great. That seems and like that would be good out. for those It's great to work out of. And you also got to have a place to keep your snacks. I'm going to recommend a good cooler. You want a good cooler? Okay. Some of the best matches that I've ever shot, it was because I traveled with somebody that knew what the F they were doing. Hmm. What, they got you, a, a cooler, and they got 
peanut butter and jelly in there. They got, you name it, ham sandwiches. Oh, you want a Gatorade? I got a Gatorade for you. Oh, you don't want a Gatorade? Well, I get just water. Here's okay? a all, all BS aside, a lot of what Ruben's getting at here is, is really gear management and yeah. how it pays off, and truly, like, how it pays off for success on the course. Because you shoot for a very small amount of time. Hold that thought. I got to interrupt for a second. Okay, so Ryan's holding that thought. Okay, but you can buy a dissident KL-12, which is a $4,000 Kalashnikov-type shotgun, right? Like, right, right. Undoubtedly the best shotgun you can buy right now for open division. Ryan, you can breathe. Okay, <sighs> okay sorry. But you <laughs> can shoot a match, and this, these things are race cars, okay, that you need to take care of it. So you get done shooting your stage, and you come off, and you don't have a place to clean that gun? I mean, day two, have fun. Because it, it ain't going to go well if you're not cleaning your gear. And that's not just any shot. That's every piece of gear. Okay. So you need to have a place you can gear management. And that's mm-hmm. why I can't three-gun. Because mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I'll say. Because I'm not going to clean my fire. I'll <laughs> yeah. say this. I can, I can relate. Like, when I work in the garage, a lot of people are always talking about fancy tools and stuff. Almost all my tools came from Harbor Freight. But what I would so much rather spend money on is some dream garage with like the most amazing tool cabinet that somehow is like a iRobot Roomba thing that follows me around the garage. And if when I set down a socket that I know I'm going to lose in Mm -hmm. 15 seconds, it picks it up and puts it right back where it's supposed to be and then follows me around with it. I would spend so much money on that, so much more than I'd spend on the socket set. There's so many parallels to that though. You look like you look at a good backpack and like your system that you carry hunting with you and like, I mean, I've got like four or five pouches that fit inside my backpack. I got a kill kit. I got my food kit. I got mm-hmm. this kit, that yep. kit. It's yeah. all organization, and, and it all makes your life so much better. And, and I'm not an organized person. It's exactly yeah, what RJ was getting at. Because, like, <laughs> I can remember when we started three-gunning, it was like three rifle, oh, a rifle case, a shotgun case, case, a pistol case. You had, like, a backpack full of all your crap, and it was just thrown in there haphazardly. And I think when you look at the guys and gals that are separated from the rest of the pack, that are truly the alpha-class shooters, Everything is organized, orderly, and there's redundancy in it um, yeah. to a responsible point. I'm not telling you go out with 30 PMAGs preloaded because you're going to have so much gear you're not going to know what to do with. <laughs> but when you get done with your stage, like RJ says, you go back to your mobile command unit. You've got a repair kit for your rig on hand, or you have everything set up so you set your gun down. You don't have to monkey with it. It can't fall over. You know, it, It's orderly. You've got pre-loaded magazines, you've got everything set up so that you can spend more time on stage management and stage planning. And yeah. then when it comes down to grabbing your implements, they're all right there. One of the one of the biggest things about competitive shooting is the mental ma- developing your own mental management system. And you can read guys like Lanny Basham or you can read Brian Enos. There's they got whole systems on mental management systems on how you develop how these steps go in your head. And so one of the big things about competitive shooting is it's a, it's a big adrenaline boost for a lot of people. So you get up there and you you don't realize it, but like your nerves are going crazy and everything. And the biggest things that have happened to me over the years of, and Ryan actually helped get me into competitive shooting. So like he'd be talking more than I am, but the, the one of the biggest things that I've done to, you know, you, you kind of have this fast growth, you, you shoot your first match and it kind of sucks sometimes. And then your second one, you're twice as good as you were your first one. And then as you go up, this curve kind of has this diminishing returns as you get better. And now now instead of trying to shave 20 seconds off of a stage, you're trying to shave a quarter of a second off of a stage. And the biggest things that have been a flop for me as a competitive shooter are when I get up to the line and I go and, like, turn on a dot and my battery's dead because I didn't have a scheduled 
maintenance regimen of when I'm going to change my batteries. And then I'm like, does anybody have a battery? And I look mm-hmm. back. You want to see people who are and you're not thinking about the stage. Yeah, no, you're not thinking about the stage now because you you have mental capacity, right? You it's like a gas tank. If you fill it up with a bunch of crap that doesn't matter, you don't have room for any gas. So you want to be able to be completely focused on shooting that stage and performing at a very high level without thinking about like, oh, my shoe's untied. Oh, I forgot my pistol at the hotel. One of the yeah. That's now I know why he was that writing so happened. many notes. Yes. So, and that goes with anything, I think. That goes with hunting. <laughs> I was I was out in Colorado elk hunting this week, and the, well, the Western hunting thing for me out of a backpack is, like, completely new. And so getting out there and realizing that, like, as soon as you're getting, like, ready to, to you, you see an animal, you're like, oh, man, like, I did not have my system planned for getting my Kestrel and looking up my dope and... I didn't have the atmospherics gathered on it. Like I, I was just like, I had all the gear and I had everything like as it should be, but I didn't have any system for how I was managing that gear and making ready for a shot. And so that you have a potential for missed opportunity, whether you're competing or you're hunting Buy good gear, but have a system of managing it. And I think building those systems, <laughs> trial and error, like going out there and doing that. Yeah. Sometimes the only way yeah. to do it is to do yeah, it. Yeah. If you're on the gram, there's some really organized peeps out there. Dylan Easley, Nick Miller, Daniel Jurassic, those guys not only post videos about shooting, but they post videos about their organization. Hmm, interesting. Like I'm glad this. I like I'm this glad went. this went that direction. Yeah. Eric, it's not the pistol you use. It's just remembering to actually bring the pistol to the match. That's exactly what I got written down in my notes. <laughs> bingo, Don't bingo, forget bongo. the pistol. Checklist, maybe. Lovely. Oh, yeah, I have books. I have books. I bring with. Can All I, right. Can I tell you my dream three gun setup? <sighs> okay. What is it? It involves whatever um, your sponsors give you. Well, yeah. Uh, it involves the the AR that I still need to finish building, and then uh, even oh, you have e- a three hundred wisdom e- AR. E- we just got to make it. We got to make it work right. Well, I, I, with that one or the one I haven't built yet, either, either then I probably won't go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, MC Ryan, on to the next topic. On that note, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? What type of grill oh, is best? Yes. We have many different theories around the table. I know about this, and uh, so why don't we kick it off? Because I know I like charcoal. Ruben likes the old Traeger, the the pellet smoker, right? And what else do we got? Mark, Eric, Ryan, what do you guys like? I'm going to introduce you to a really... I know what you're going to say. Mark's a propane guy. All, Mark likes it all oh, to just I'll be... Burn gas, baby. <laughs> Listen, here's what it comes down to. We Releasing can all recall the late 90s, early 2000s. Releasing them dinosaurs. A really integral part of my life is from Texas, and specifically Arlen, Texas, and specifically Hank Hill. And if Hank Hill had one thing to say, it was taste the meat, not the heat. Propane and propane accessories. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Propane and yeah, yeah. Bobby. Bobby. There's propane Bobby. and Bobby. <laughs> oh. I think the best grill is the grill that you have on hand or Tokyo Grill because they have good sushi and hibachi. <laughs> okay, Eric, you use a little smoky. You're with me on the charcoal yes, spec side yes. of things. Okay, so. Try right. go. Okay. Best grill is outside covered in snow right now. It's a little smoky. It doesn't have a bottom. Everything kind of seems to fall through. It's covered in snow. I think if I might have mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, rusted out. Rusted out. Here's the thing. Like you mentioned, put your meat on the grill, cook it to around 120, 125 degrees, pull it off, and, and you're done. Disclaimer. Eric is referring to red meat, and yes. if you eat chicken undercooked, you are on no way, Vortex is in yes. no way liable. Yes. And if you're um, making a hamburger, chicken it. Although there are, some thoughts, yeah. there are some thoughts out there that some people say the FDA recommends that chicken is actually overcooked too much frequently. You ever had a medium rare pork chop? See, these are some of the things I've heard people okay. say, and it's like you freak people out when you say that, but 
So a lot of people don't know this, but a, a lot of times, if you if you think to yourself like, "Oh, I'm going to this restaurant, they got the best steaks, mm-hmm. or they got the best chicken, or whatever," a lot of cooking meat is based on just temperature. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know where you he's don't, going. You don't need f- your flavor of the smokiness or your flavor from like a charred flavor on a charcoal grill or something like that. Or like a seasoning. Yeah, it, it comes mm-hmm. very quickly. It doesn't take, you know, you don't have to do that. So a lot of times, and I would say most of the time when you go to a restaurant, like a nice sit-down restaurant, like an Applebee's or something, <laughs> a nice sit-down restaurant. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, Jeez. Just, just kidding, we, just can, kidding. Can that, you make this more relatable? They're fall off the okay. bone ribs. It All doesn't right. get better if than that. If you go to a really book. good uh, local McDonald's or something like that, if you go to a nice res- restaurant, most of the time the steak that you buy is cooked in a bag in water. It's called immersion circulating. Uh, it's it's uh, basically a sous vide method of cooking where they're taking that meat, they're putting it in a bag with all the seasonings that they want on it, and they throw it in a tub of water. It's sealed, so it's not just boiling, but they're getting that meat up to a certain temperature. And then when you order your steak and you say, I want medium rare, they go to the 127.5 bin and they pull a steak out and they cut the little plastic top off and then they throw it on the grill and sear it for 30 seconds on each side and that's how you get like a perfectly cooked steak oh, or so a you're perfectly saying cooked chicken good, rest. That's the good restaurant yeah. that's doing yeah. that. Yes, exactly. Hmm. That's why so, when you at first get, I was weirded out because I'm picturing in my head no, like no, the no, plastic no. bags like you see when they microwave crap, you know, and it's like, well, like a, a lot of restaurants <laughs> do. Like, pull the top off. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. But no, no this now is, I get you're actually describing something that's actually quite high quality. And so... Which, and they can, which type just, of grill is best? They're just leaving it in there, kind of like yeah. yes, indefinitely. But which type of grill is best? My, in my, my opinion, the type of grill that's best is the type of grill that lets you get to the right temperature for how you want your meat cooked. Now, how do you know what grill does that? Do you want a Pick really a hot? Do you want a really hot grill, or do you want like how do you do it on your Traeger? Because yeah. here's the thing: I used to have a Traeger, and I could only get it up to on a good day, four fifty. Four fifty. Well, okay, so it had a four fifty knob, but I'm I'm not gonna lie, I never got there. Yep. But, but how do you? But it's fine. <laughs> not at Trigger, Eric. <laughs> we don't want enemies. We don't want enemies. I love the grill, but then, but I found that when I switched to charcoal, I can get that thing cranked to like. If I actually, if I basically yeah. leave the lid cracked a little bit and leave the exhaust vents both open, top and bottom, I get it where the thermometer is all the way around to eight hundred. Yeah. And then it comes and back and goes eight hundred. You want to <laughs> try something new? Stick a hair like a hair blower, a yeah. hair dryer. Cut a little hole in the side of your grill and stick that in. You'll be able to get up to about twelve hundred. And then we can cook our meat to the CWD or C. Uh, what am I trying <laughs> yes. to say? CDA? Yeah. The, no. No. The uh, FDA. FDA recommended temperature it for has CWD infection. Nine thousand centigrade. <laughs> so yeah. how do you do it then with your trigger, where you can get up to like let's say four hundo? Yeah. So if we're talking about searing or grilling, it's two different things. Oh. Um, one. So we do the dealer experiences, right, with the customers. We bring them yeah, in, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. come and get to uh, do some shooting and spend some time at Vortex. Well, so Travis Bogle here is kind of our new, uh, like our resident chef. He's a formally trained chef, and he's doing all the meals now for our uh, customer experiences. And one of the the fan favorites right now is like ribeye. Yeah. That's smoked. It's never seared. So you don't necessarily mm, need to get that scope. That uh, I'm talking optics here already. Scope. Uh, you don't need to get that steak up to a smoking hot How temperature. How do you get the uh, bark on it? Well, you can... So you can do the a reverse crisp. sear, which is what we do a lot of the times. Is we'll take those steaks and throw them on the grill, and get them up to temperature, and then pull them off and just sear it for thirty seconds on each side to mm. get that crust. But of course, you're not able to do that on that type of grill usually. Yeah. Um, 
So it's not the, the trigger isn't really good for for doing a sear for searing, okay. but it still is really good for cooking good meat. Yeah, I've just I've really enjoyed lately the charcoal because on my charcoal, what I can do is you can push around the coals mm-hmm. underneath the grates, so I can have a really hot side. And maybe that thermometer isn't accurate. It's highly likely. However, I do know that the other day I had it cranked to where it said it was at 800, and I put bacon on, and in 30 seconds the bacon had melted and vanished. Yeah. And then I was, and then at that point I realized maybe I don't always have to have it at 800. Yep. But um, <laughs> you can have it. You can have all the charcoals pushed over to one side, and then you can have a hot side and a cooler side. You can smoke using a charcoal grill. Uh, apparently, I don't know how to do it. It sounds complicated, but apparently you can. And you can vaporize your meat. And in my, yeah, you can vaporize things real good. Um, you can use lump charcoal. It gets real hot. You can use the regular briquettes. And my new charcoal grill, it takes the worst part of having a charcoal grill out of it. I can actually turn on a little, like, tiny propane uh, thing yep. that has one burner inside. And then I push a button, kick, 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 and then it lights up. And then it, it lights my charcoal for me, so yes. I don't have to sit there. I feel like you've had, you've got the propane. You've added the an extra step. Well, here's what it reminds me of electric cars and the charging stations. You know there's a big old diesel generator <laughs> on that side. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. It is like that. But I do enjoy I do enjoy Lithium the charcoal. Plus I feel plus I feel when I'm when I'm cooking on charcoal, I just feel a little bit here's more. Here's I think man. here's I think yep. one of the things where it boils down to, okay? Like when I moved here six years ago or whatever that was when we moved down, I had no kids. And my wife was going to school in a two hours mm-hmm. away. I was cooking on charcoal yeah, all the grill time. Master, yep. Man. Yep. Grill master. Yep. Yep. I'm sitting out there. What else am I gonna do? I'm gonna go to the gym. And I'm gonna come back. It's true. It's the ultimate I'm go bachelor to the range. grill. It's the ultimate bachelor grill because there's no time constraints. Yeah. Yep. But if I got to babysit a grill, I don't That's have to babysit true. a Traeger. If I got to babysit a grill, there better not be three kids running around like there are right now. Well, that's <sighs> fair. Th- that's just it. And that's why I was going to bring up, well, I've always cooked, not always, but oftentimes, most often cooked on, what? <laughs> get this away from me. <laughs> uh, I'm an advocate. He's hit. He's hit. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> okay. the, mos- the monster's in control now. I think there's gasoline in this thing. I'm an advocate for gas because it is You just had a misfire. <laughs> yeah. Spark, spark plug. Backfire, yeah. Uh, okay, propane. Two little kids, not a lot of time. Yeah. Propane, you burn hot and fast. You don't have to babysit it like you said. You go turn it on, you throw your steaks on, you get that nice bark crust, your steak's done in 12 minutes, tops, and that's a thick steak. Yeah, that's... I'm, I'm that's, saying a, a, a thick yeah. steak, six minutes per side. See, if I'm cooking a steak, okay, I right. want that outside crusty, and I want the inside. Like, if I give it a shot of penicillin, we might be able to bring it back to life. Yep. I like that. I agree with you. So that, that would is be, the way so it, to do it. So I think that is about probably four minutes, three to four minutes per side. But you got to you you hit it with, like, the right little off-topic here. I find six Eat. minutes is, like, a medium, a true medium. A little off-topic, right, right. but America's Test Kitchen does a lot of stuff where they do things, like, a hundred different ways, and they find out what the people like the best. Awesome show. Yeah. If you look at what America's Test Kitchen does and what a lot of chefs have adopted now is cooking steak for a maximum of 60 seconds per side and then flip it and then go back and then go back. Really? Mm. Creates, God, I am not a flipping it. Yep. Six, every 60 seconds you flip it. Oh, freak, wow. I'd I always freak heard, out. I'm going to like damage it. I've always heard so many times from like yeah. from people where they're no, like, burgers, oh, you Burgers need... are different. Okay. Burgers where you leave that thing until it's it's firm enough Why to flip it. Why is that? I've always heard, well, it's yeah, if you're, look, if you're looking, you're meat. not... Oh. I've always heard if you're so looking, you're not cooking. Form up. Yeah, you so 60 I mean? seconds aside until you get to that internal temperature, and, and you should do yourself a favor and get an internal temperature guide for the doneness of steaks, 
and look at using a thermometer, or you can do the touch test, which is pointer finger, the pad of your yep. hand here. That's me- that's rare. It works. Middle finger is medium rare. That's medium well, and that's done. Yeah, well pinky, done. pinky to thumb, ring finger to thumb. All right, yep. Ryan. Yep. Vortex Nation test kitchen. Vortex Nation test kitchen. I think that's Let's a de- that's a good idea. I guess we didn't determine what grill was best, but hey, you got you got options. You learned. Things. I feel like I talked the whole time. I'm sorry. I Rube, you did good. You I did apologize good. for my outburst. That's, you had a misfire. Mark, let's try not to do that on this next topic, which MC Ryan is going to be bringing was up. Like, I'm the captain now. <laughs> I don't actually know how many topics we have left. MC Ryan can probably tell me at some point. I what, think we have two, Jim. We, we have two left. Okay. Topic five: Crazy warranty stories. So. Vortex Optics, as many of you know, has the VIP warranty, and it pretty much covers everything except loss or theft or intentional damage. And the intentional damage thing is just kind of like, why would you do that? Anyway, but we've seen many, many things. We've seen bears chewing on products. We've seen things dropped in campfires. I don't know if we've seen them dropped in grills. Uh, But we've seen them shot in burning airplanes, run over by lawnmowers. I don't know. It's it's all happened. So sometimes people ask us what some of the craziest ones are. Who's got who's got a really good one? I've got one off the bat. And all right, Ryan. We recall the California wildfires of two years ago. What was called the campfire, I believe, is what mm-hmm. what the official was. Uh, mm-hmm. Swept through a lot of wine country. Yes, we received on more than one occasion optics back that had melted and blended with wine bottles. Oh my gosh! Wait, Fancy. what? Wait. So I, I also want to know. Why are so many people keeping the optics in the wine cellar? I don't know. <laughs> well, they're both glass. I, I guess. Do you have to keep it what at a they, specific angle? They're always mounted to guns that had three safety positions for some reason. Oh, right. you <laughs> See what you say. So, there. what did they look like? Well, it was like there? a large like amalgamation a... of melted glass yeah. and then optical components. So, we had lens elements and then metal parts and things That's like this. Neat. Really, I mean, it didn't terrible fashion yeah. as to how it happened, but yeah, interesting. And then on a kind of a similar uh, direction here with natural disasters, hurricanes, and and tropical storms that have hit various parts of our country, specifically hurricanes in you know Florida, Louisiana, and, and uh, up the eastern seaboard there, like rangefinders and binoculars that had been exposed to large quantities of now inland push seawater and submerge for weeks and possibly months at a time before recovery operations could go in. Um, folks digging through their devastated and, and ravaged homes to find their product had been submerged in this rank, brackish water. Um, and, you know, covered from that. Poop and, water. And, yeah, poop water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, at that point, it literally is like a biohazard. Correct. And, and I think we've had them shipped in in bio bags. Yeah, wow. I remember getting. I remember seeing some of those come yep. in. A guy with a Strike Eagle sent one, and I remember. We, I think we even have a video about that one. But yeah, and that's yeah. crazy. And and so one thing that that folks when they call, they're like, well, "What does your warranty cover?" And we go over the the last thing that we're concerned about is is I guess what what it's going to take or cost us to get your life back up and running when you mm. when you when you've got a product that you've spent your money on and, and your time on and, and you've invested it. And a natural disaster comes. This should not disqualify you. I yeah, think right. That. One of the I had a customer talking a couple months ago. I was talking to, and he said the best part about your warranty is that it covers me. He's oh like, yeah, regardless. We're of not worried about what happened. We're worried about taking care of the person. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, and talk about you talk about natural disaster. I mean, something so disruptive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And catastrophic. Nice to not have to worry about your that. Li- your so, life is ruined, and the last thing you have to worry about is buying a new scope for your favorite hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting into some more examples, I remember seeing one that we got sent in to us, and somehow, 
Now, and it's my memory gets all muddled because you'd be amazed at how many rifle scopes I've seen shot, which is kind of a it's kind of ironic when your rifle scope, the thing that helps you aim a barrel that's in front of the rifle scope, is also getting shot by some. Usually, it's not the same rifle because otherwise you're bending bullets like that one movie. But this rifle scope got shot straight in the objective bell. Ooh, right in the objective bell, if you know what I mean. Uh, and there's a there's a there's a ring. You you notice if you look at the end of a rifle scope, the objective bell sort of ex- extends beyond the actual objective lens inside of it. You know, and so that part got hit, and you could see that there was some evidence of cracking and stuff going on on the objective lens. And this big bend of aluminum around the housing goes right in front of it, and directly in the middle of it. it's totally obstructing the objective lens. And you'd think. Yeah, that thing's toast. There's no way you're going to be able to see through it, look through it, anything. Well, if you look through the optic, it looked perfect. Not a single thing was in the view. You couldn't see any shadow, black, nothing. You would think that you'd be seeing this big, giant bend of black metal in front of you, but nothing. And I remember asking the engineers why that was, and they were explaining that if you look at all the points of light that an optic is is essentially sucking in from its its vista, and all those points of light, of which there are many, 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 and then you bring it up real close, and especially something that's really close to the optic, that thing in there, and then it all gets focused down onto one focal point, one tiny little focal point inside the optic, and then sent through the optical system. Wait, are you saying that a rifle scope is a black hole? Yes. Well, anyway, as it brings all that in, uh, then the obstruction that's directly in front of the objective lens is such a small percentage, basically, of all the light that's coming into the scope that it almost all but disappears. I, that, that's kind of my best explanation. It's probably not perfect. An optical engineer could correct me, I'm sure, on anything that I got wrong there. But you could still use the scope. Actually, in fact, we went out. Ryan, you shot that scope. With a stick in it. With a, yeah, with a stick sticking out oh, of it, too. Yeah. We then, call uh, it the device. Yeah, the device. <laughs> yes. What insert, was the stick for? Insert the device just, a to show, it. just to show that there was like a clean hole through. through. Oh, yeah. Clean through. Like, yeah. I do remember seeing that metal in front of it. It was like a darn magic trick when you look, yeah. at, when you look through the optic. Though. Yeah, and then the parallax was a little jacked, I remember. Yeah. Because but, that objective cell had been hit, but it worked. You can actually shoot. We shot out to like 400 yards. Yeah. And then that was about it, though. We lost that parallax. And, that was yeah. fun. It wasn't perfectly waterproofed anymore, too, so it has to be covered at that point. Do you so. suppose, James, that that is the same place where your bacon disappeared to? Was I think my bacon was sucked up by an objective <laughs> bell. It was sucked up by an objective bell. Yes. I wanted to also talk about one that I remember because I stayed late one day, and this isn't to brag on myself staying late, but I just happened to be here late, and Ryan Muckinern was on the phone with a guy in Alaska who had just catastrophically banged the heck out of his rifle scope. And do you remember this? You were talking with him late at night because it wasn't late over in Alaska or whatever where he was. He was out on a hunt. The whole thing was like just wrecked inside the rings, and he's in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. And you had to talk him through. We figured out that actually the reticle, even though the scope was just completely screwed up, the reticle was like cemented, like lodged in place. So it wouldn't move even when he shot. And you helped him figure out over the phone before we warranted it because he was still out on this hunt of a lifetime. You helped him figure out where to hold on the reticle to get a decent shot at like, I think it was 50 yards or something like that. Because he could still see through it. He like dropped it off of like a 
rock face or something. Do you remember that? You talked yeah, through it with the guy and you were like, if you were like, okay, take a shot and aim at a oh, rock. Yeah, 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 you're yeah, like, yeah. aim at a rock in That's front of you. Yep. And he's in the middle of the wilderness yep. somewhere and he aimed at the rock and you're like, now where did your bullet hole land? And you're doing the ballistics calculator stuff back here. And then he was telling you that and you're like, now I want you to hold over on this hash mark on your reticle and this one. And we actually established a zero with him, even though the whole thing was... Was he hunting moose? Yes, yes. Yep, I remember. He was... I remember it was bear or moose. And yep. Yeah. And he had... It was funny because he sent us a picture then of his pickup point, uh, which was on like a sandbar uh, later. Like, hey, thanks for saving my hunt. It was really rad. Was he solo? Yeah. My God. How Holy did he... Was he on crap. a sat phone? Um, no, I think he had cell coverage. Okay, interesting. Yeah. No, I do remember that. It was right when we got into this building. Yeah, it was, it was right short, on the yep. it was right on the uh, transition. Yep. That's that funny. Maybe wild. it was Spring Bear then. I'm trying to remember. I I remember the I remember I want to remember the gun cuz I always remember the gun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I do remember that guy. That was funny. That was and crazy. Yeah. Yes. It was wild. I couldn't believe that we actually yeah, somehow it just the salvage, the salvage stories, like when the guy's on the hunt, and it's a real thing. Like I think people see some of our ads and like, oh, they won't really do that. If you're listening to this and you end up in a catastrophic position, please call us. We would like to work through we, it and get we, you up and running. We will take care yeah. of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're very serious about If the that. phone lines aren't open, his up on Instagram or Reddit, chances are somebody's on. Right. Yeah. Do you remember that guy that accidentally loaded H- H110 H- instead of yeah. H1000? In his- Three thirty-eight. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was the guy that I was uh, going to talk to. Three thirty-eight Lapua. Um, so there's pistol powder and there's rifle powder. They are <laughs> oh, very different man. things. The barrels are very yeah. different lengths. And Kablooey. um, so H one ten is really good in short barrels and fast moving stuff. We're going to say three hundred blackout, for example, yeah, or three fifty-seven, yeah. whatever. Do not put one hundred and twenty-seven grains of H one ten inside of a three thirty-eight Lapua and seat a three hundred grain Sierra Match King over the top of it. I it remember. Like I dynamite. remember. I remember asking like the first thing I did when we saw that scope was like, are, "Is the guy okay?" Yeah. Like that's the first. Concern. And I think I think there was a little bit of yep. hand, damage hand damage that went on. Some nerve Yo. damage. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say hand in the scope. Uh, oh um, <laughs> no! No, the scope just well, had like, a dent I, on the bottom of the objective bell. Amazing. The rifle, the Germany action Christmas. was blown apart, Yep, and the barrel was split all the way down to the end. But Act- Like you said, thank God. That's why you get yeah. a good set yeah. of rings. That's why live. you get a high-quality set of rings. Action screws. Not true. On that. No, you don't think kidding. so? No. no. Okay, I was just going <laughs> to say, what an asshole. Action screws on that <laughs> <laughs> rifle blew through. So this is an 840 action screw, which Ruben from his fastener days can attest to the sheer strength of an 840 in a steel alloy. Well, compared to a 632, yeah. Blown through the top of the okay. receiver into the bottom of the scope, left a crater, and the screw stuck. Yeah. We are Yo, talking about We're talking a little, force. like a small screw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That literally shot into the scope. Yep. Projectile. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It was a grenade. Eric, you went like this. Yeah, I was going to talk about the guy who dropped his spotter off the side of a cliff and like went down, found it, and used like a stick and electrical as a tape as a splint to put the thing yeah. back together. You can still use it, it. Finished it as his hunt and actually used it to glass up the buck that he killed. Yep. Like, it was wild. I got to awesome. give a shout out to Jeremy Moore. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he... Rest in uh, peace, Toyota. Guy, guy from Texas that's a really good friend of ours. He uh, made the jump when uh, Ryan and myself... Well, actually, when you were at Nordic... Um, made the jump and invested in a ton of Vortex stuff. We're talking like 20 different pieces, rifle scopes, binoculars, spotting scopes. He runs your shooting range and had a bunch of spotting scopes for different matches and events and left his brand-new Tundra parked out in a field and the Mm. exhaust caught fire, burned the entire truck down, and he was like, guys, I don't know what to do. And we're like, well, I mean, 
you know, call your insurance company for sure. They'll probably take, he's like, no, all my optics were in there. And so we said, send us a bag of whatever's left and an invoice of whatever you bought from the dealer. And we just pieced it together for of that. Boom. Dang. Yeah, like a puzzle. That's it. That's what it takes. Cool. Uh, excellent stuff, Mark. I didn't, I didn't get to do one. We're over <laughs> time. Open us, open us on the next one. We're over time, man. All right, let's go. All right. Uh, bam. Ryan, well, hold on. We don't know what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> I know. We're not, it's the only one left. I MC brought my Ryan's list. Ryan's got to bring it up. Could just wait for it to hit the screen. Okay. All right. All right. Oh. Mark, this this is basically Mark versus Ryan Muckinern almost, but I know that some of us will also get our, our points in. Whitetail versus Mule Deer. Mark, open. Is this a who's better? Uh yeah, I mean Who's obviously, better, what's better? What's better, whitetail or mule deer? Oh. Whitetail versus mule deer. It is whatever it is to you. Here's the deal. It is I love all the deers. I like to catch all the deers. However, there's an award called a boardman. Mark, we're not we're not here to keep be friends. diplomatic. Yeah, we're yeah. not here to Let's be politicians. We bones. want enemies. <laughs> if I was to if I were to pick, now everybody knows Gloves are off. <laughs> I'm from Washington State. I'm from as far west as it gets. And actually, if we were going to throw in a little deer I like to call the Columbia blacktail, this would be maybe a little bit of a different story. But we're doing whitetail versus mule deer right now. Brian looks like he's about to arm wrestle, Mark. I love I them never. both <laughs> for different reasons. However, if you were to make me pick one, whitetail deer. Boom. Okay. Mark calls whitetail the carp of the fields. I call Mark. I, I call. I mean, Mark. Ryan, Ryan says that. Ryan calls I, I, Whitetail dude, the carp so of offensive. the fields. Yes, that is offensive. It's disrespectful. Ryan. Explain yourself. I, I mean, that's disrespectful. Okay, back it up. Back, you back it, it back up. Your, you know what? Why don't you come across this table and tell me to back it up? I'm as aggressive as a whitetail buck, and guess what? I'll edge that you is... out of your habitat. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, invasive species, much like common carp from Asia. Invasive. Oh. Oh, all right. Oh. So hold on. You haven't Guys. said much about how great the mule deer is yet. Okay, all so you've said is how carpy the first whitetail of all, is. Yeah. First well, of all. he just points the finger. To yeah, quote yeah. Mark Boardman, mule deer, the king of deers. Thank you. Okay. Whitetail, the banquet deer. Thank you. Uh, anyway, I like mule deer because they are they inhabit such regal landscapes. Now, so do whitetails. There's something, though, that we have to back up a little is bit. Is there a mule deer on the north shore of Minnesota? Unfortunately not. Um, so not. I don't like how you use guy. my own words against me. <laughs> Just blew you up. Like a, like a politician. So, I okay, where I'm from, Minnesota, deer hunting is a very different thing than a lot of other places. In Minnesota, deer hunting for me was going to up north with my dad after shooting at a pie plate with a rifle. And if you hit the pie plate, you were good enough, and you sit in a stand for seven hours a day, for four days, a deer may walk by. You shoot it at 35 yards. You've concluded the adventure. Um, so I was never much of a deer hunter until about 2007, or I shouldn't say a compassionate deer hunter. I, I, I hunted deer often, um, was successful often, but never like put a ton of energy and effort and time into hunting deer because it was very lackluster. You sat there, it walked by, you zapped it, you walked out. That was kind of the end of it. That's right? a pretty small, like, subset, though. I know, but yeah, look at the, hey, that's a whitetail right I there, know, and I'm you know getting, the adventure behind there. that one. I'm getting right. there, I'm getting there. Yes, well, so I'm about for, to get there, too. So for me, <laughs> you're about to arrive, are you, Mark? <laughs> so for me, it was never, whitetails were never an adventurous thing. A couple other caveats. I was not a, quote, bow hunter. I hunted with a bow. I was not a bow hunter. There is a huge difference. I bought a bow. I had arrows for it. I shot it at my Glendale buck. That was it. Went up a tree, 
on two occasions, arrowed white-tailed deers. And that was it. Okay. Enter Western hunting. 2007 for me. Uh, my first mule deer was December 1st or 2nd. I'd have to look back at my logs. I'm hunting... This guy has logs. I'm hunting vistas I've never seen. I'm, I'm chasing deer in environments that remind me of when Tyrannosaurus rex inhabited the earth. And I'm chasing this amazing species with these huge donkey ears and these short legs that bound through the landscape. And it was just such an adrenaline rush to chase these goofy critters. And I think back to my up north whitetails walking by the trail. Oh, there they come. How oh, far? <laughs> Rangefinder? <laughs> Don't need one. 35 yards. Ouch! Like shooting a domesticated animal. Oh, now, oh my Jesus. <laughs> Here, Eric, drink this. Yeah, it'll now, it'll set you ablaze. A couple a She's couple tweaked. Listen. <laughs> a full admission to the listeners of this podcast. I have a tremendously different viewpoint on whitetail hunting since starting here at Vortex and living in Wisconsin because there's one thing that Wisconsin does and that's whitetails. And they do it way better than Minnesota can. Oh. Yeah. Whoa, I've never heard Shots Ryan fired. say anything like when that. When I moved out here, and, and, I, actually, and sure. I start talking to people that work at this company, and I'm going to pick on our photographer, the dark horse. That guy. Sh- shall remain nameless. Yeah, he shall. Bow hunting is a culture out here. It's a thing. And I'm not taking away from any diehard bow hunters in Minnesota or Michigan or Iowa or any other states that I don't inhabit. But I have inhabited Minnesota, and I, I do inhabit Wisconsin now. The whitetail management out here. And the culture surrounding the taking of old, mature, trophy-class deer is something that, where I'm from, and in the circles I ran with, yep, doesn't exist. To shoot a whitetail in a 140-inch class in the territories that I hunted was unheard of. They're on walls. That's it. You're like, where did you get that buck? And they tell you, I shot it up by Grigla. And they're like, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different It's a different thing. It's a different mindset from the hunter, too. Having patience and discipline, yes. that doesn't really exist in a lot of no, places. No, because you have four days. Yeah. You have four days. You have a Saturday, Sunday, and then the following Saturday, Sunday, if you're lucky and your dad lets you. Different up. this year, but yeah. yeah. I'm going to say two things yeah. real quick. One, when I'm talking about whitetails versus mule deer, I am thinking mentally bow hunting whitetails versus rifle hunting mule deer. I would agree. Now, and I'll add to that, though, one thing that I also like about about whitetails in general is that I can have, uh, like we're talking about, a lot of their habitats overlap, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have a very similar hunt like we did. You, oh, me, yeah. Jim, very Ryan, western myself. to quote yes. Mark. There in, were mule deer in there. Nebraska. We saw mule deer. The mule deer were by the parking lot, and the whitetail <laughs> were down in the field that we yeah, had to Ryan, hike around thirteen this. miles for. I think. Are you done? Well, I am done, but I do also I finish your thought because I know Holy Eric is fired up, and he's, he's got three minutes. And <laughs> okay, <that's>, so <laughs> quick thing, quick thing. Hunting, just like in Waterboy, hunting is what you make it. Okay. Yes, so sir. For me, all right. <laughs> I sweating. A couple years ago, I had some family <laughs> health issues, all right? For, I couldn't make a hunt that I was going to go out. Uh, I was going to hunt some property in Montana that I've been hunting like for a long time. And so I put my pack on, and I went to Minnesota muzzleloader season, southeastern zone by La Crosse, Wisconsin. Mm. I put my pack on, and I hiked up and down the bluffs for mm. two days straight, and I shot a doe with my muzzleloader Heck yeah. in a foot and a half of snow, mm. and I quartered it, and I packed it out. So 
I don't like particularly the culture of sitting in a stand with a thirty out six and shooting a deer at twenty five feet. Great cartridge, but I oh, also I still like doing that. But I all I don't I mean I'll do it because we eat six seven deer a year in my house. But still, you can do a lot of different things with a whitetail, just like you guys did in Nebraska. Yeah, Eric. I hope we give Eric another ten minutes. Go okay, ahead. I have two things here. Two two big things. One. Personality based. Whitetails are you alluded to how they're so aggressive. They're pretty wily. And, and I'm I'm not talking about the fact that they push mule deer out of their habitat. I'm talking about the fact that if you snort wheeze at a buck this time of year, he will literally roll his eyes back in your in his head, bristle up like a boxer who's ready to knock your clock off and sway in from left to right into bow range until he either Did wins he give you us a snort wheeze real quick. Oh, that's a good one. Very nice. Very nice. So there's that. I have a very limited amount of experience hunting mule deer. I have not seen mule deer get that aggressive when it comes to vocalizations. The other thing, Ryan, you touched on it a little bit when it comes to like there there are deer and then there are there are deer that have seen some some crap. Especially here in the Midwest, we have you know half a million hunters out there every year. I shot a deer last year that when I, when I, and he was an old, fully, fully mature buck. When I was processing him, he had a broadhead in his, in his, uh, like kind of that no man's land just under his back strap. And he had a tine wound in his, in his, uh, rear end. And I just think about the fact that that deer had probably been shot at and probably been bumped out deer, whitetails. And this is part of the the interesting thing with them. Whitetails live with us. Mule deer live on their own. They live in that regal landscape like you described. You ever heard of mountain lions and cactus? No. I was just wondering. Go ahead. (laughs) So a a whitetail, a whitetail tolerates a lot of, lot of pressure and can withstand being shot at, being spooked and, and still live to these super mature ages. And the fact that they can get that old despite being yep. shot at like crazy it amazes Whereas me. Mule deer, I mean it's like you just look at them funny and they drop dead. Well they're they're just there's <laughs> there are less hunters. There are less hunters. I think we gotta give Ryan a counterpoint. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I actually like white tails a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually I love mule deer. Yep. I do Aww, too. We're all friends Let's here. Build some bridges here. Hey, look at, I want to say well, something I, about I real it, quick about whitetails. Though. I want it dead and on my grill. Don't matter what it looks yeah. like when it's yeah. on, on your gas grill. Whitetail hunting to me, like I love mule deer and I love the landscapes and the places that it takes you and the adventure. But I also like the accessibility, the fact that you can be in whitetail country and you can be hunting and it's and and you know what it's. Even though I like these other adventurous hunts that are like mm-hmm. this giant production, not that you can't have the same thing while whitetail hunting, but True that. Um, mm-hmm. within within a half hour, I can go and be in a stand or on a piece of public or whatever, and I can be hunting deer. And sometimes I like that it's not a giant production. And, and I hang like, out with the family at night. I will say. And you're home at night. When I picture a mule deer, I like to you know naturally put human voices to animals at times. When I picture hmm. a mule deer, I always picture it as kind of like a oh hello, uh, <laughs> am I in your space? Would you like me to move? Okay, I'll just prance over here. And then when I picture a whitetail, I picture like Green Street hooligans. I mean, yeah, I mean you mule deer I mean? wear like, a tuxedo, whitetails wear a jean jacket. Hey, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When I think of mule deer, I think of Sam Elliott's voice. And yeah, when I think no, of whites, that's, that's Sam Elliott. You tell is that the same guy who does Green Eggs and Ham? Is he? Does he narrate Dr. Seuss books? I don't, I don't know. know. I, don't know I think that guy's name is Sam too. Doesn't but do like the Sam Dodge commercials. Sam Houston. Uh, when I think of well, white who's tails, Sam Elliott? <laughs> I think of 
Just I'm terrible with celebrities. He's, he's, he's an actor, man's man, like a Tom Selleck. Who does he does play? He's like Tom Selleck. Okay. Yeah. He sits there he a lot like over. this. Strong mustache. Did, did you ever see oh, Parks and Recreation? Com- yeah. He was other. The other Ron. Yeah, the other Ron. Oh, okay. He but just did a commercial the, for like Wyoming or something. He's yeah. like big open valleys and large right. expanses. That's Alan Alcorn. I tell you what. Uh, t- shout out to Alan Alcorn at AA Optics. What, what were you? What, what are, he had done. Now, okay. So so sweaty, apparently, we've learned Sam Elliott's <laughs> voice. Uh, it, who? Welcome it, to Montana. You want a nice? You want a nice? Whitetail? You want a nice? Well, I mean, it's it's my dad. Oh, we're going up north. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. What were you going to say to close us out here you, on this you last want a, topic? You want an amazing hunt that's extremely frustrating? Go chase western whitetails. Yeah. They don't stop. No. That's the truth. Truth. Okay. With that said, we went over 10 minutes on every single one of these. Sorry, so Ryan. It is what it is. Uh, but thank you all. A huge thank you. That was it? To all of you. Wait! Wait. Ouch. <laughs> Holy smokes. We are the captain now. What? We yeah. are the captain now. Buckle in. This whole time. Where did that come keep, from? Just wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, what is this? Wait a, a minute. Ploy? For a hundred episodes, we've sat on this side of the table, and you two have run the show. We want to welcome you to the hundredth episode. What the heck is this? I didn't What's think I could yell on. that loud. I'm that sorry. I'll tell this you. This is a, this is Listen, genuine surprise. What, this is these not are party a, poppers. No, what I don't think this? you can. Can they run them? Can How do these work? Okay. Can we run? Uh, for everybody mm-hmm. watching, to I'm gonna, use so this is an explosive base. device. Oh, what the heck is Oh, Whoa. oh, what is what? happening? Well, see the leprechaun say, you, yeah. How do you mean? Oh, hey, Mark, what? Like, Mark, what is this? <laughs> I don't know. Here, you just I twist. S- Grab at the base and twist. That's what I was doing. <laughs> what? Direction of the arrows, yeah, air, um, it's counter. Pull it's it, actually it. clockwise if you're looking there down she at goes. it. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's cool. Um, How do you like what that? What just happened? <laughs> Well, we are the captain now. Yeah, we're the captain now. So for a couple of weeks, we've been... <laughs> oh, that was a good was a, crunch. You guys. Super good crunch. We've been preparing... Um, 100th episode, look at this. Oh, my gosh, chips. Can I have some cake? Oh, that's chips right. and salsa. The cake. This is a All burrito right. and taco we, cake. Take it away, Ryan, because okay. there are, there are uh, some questions you that need to be asked. You guys have had the opportunity oh. to ask us a series of questions over the past 100 <laughs> episodes, yep. okay. and, and we've been at your mercy. That's because right. you guys know more stuff. Yeah, well, listen, we're, we're turning the tables, morons. and we are going to ask you a series of questions, and we're very excited for mm-hmm. the answers that you're going to provide. So, Ruben, I've got you keyed up to ask, ask the first Go for it. Mark, this question comes from me and a lot of people who are wondering what the heck is going on, but you need an answer to us. What are the true benefits of the 300 short mag, and why are you so dang stuck on it, even though superior cartridges come along with less recoil? Uh, Well, to quote Ryan Muckenhern, it's a modern gentleman's .30-06. Yeah, we just passed the buck there. Yep. I, I love it. It's a short-action cartridge. We just I talked can, about how I great can, the .30-06 is. I can get it. I can get it in a... <laughs> And I love the .30-06. You get it in a light handy rifle. It's got a lot of fluff to it. It's fast. It's, in my opinion, equivalent to the standard 300 Win Mag. People like to talk about the fact that, uh, oh, what if you forget your ammo? It's not as common as a standard 300. I always like to ask, have you ever forgotten your ammo? And yes. not only that, <laughs> during an ammo Where's crisis... Your glove? During an ammo crisis... Did you listen to the three-gun thing? Preparedness. Boy Scout motto. Yeah, be prepared. 
during an ammo crisis, an attack. When we, I think people just want to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm giving you my reasons. I, you know what? And I feel, I feel like I, I do get we, attacked for like three hundred short. There are a lot of questions here okay. that need to be asked. All right. All right, give me, give me one more sec. During an ammo crisis, when there was no ammo on the shelf, the the three hundred wisdom was just popular enough that stores had to carry it, but not popular enough that people bought it. So I could always get it, and the three hundred one meg was out. Next, wow. and okay. I love it. And plus, I uh, love it. I've I've got one for you, Mark. This one I hold near and dear to my heart. And not a lot of people know this. So, listeners, Mark has got a, kind of a secret nickname. It's like a secret menu item here. It's called Mark. Where's my glove, Boardman? <laughs> For the listeners, could you recant the story? I actually, I so I mean, is it the fact that I have about thirty right gloves? <laughs> <laughs> It just has to do with the fact, in my opinion, at least this is where I derive it from, unless you've got something else, Ryan. Mm. My archery release goes on my right hand, therefore my right glove is generally tethered to my arm, where my left glove, if I need to operate my phone or do something else where I need the dexterity of having my actual fingers out, uh, gets misplaced. Okay. so Frequently. I'll tell you the story. In a nutshell, for the listeners. Oh, wait. Yes. I forgot about that. Okay, so now you know the story. Oh, I forgot. Convenient. (laughs) Would you like to tell it or would you like me to tell it? You'll probably tell it better. Okay, Mark and I are on a Missouri alternative weapons hunt uh, in January. And to talk about cold, it was 27 ambient below. It was unreal. (laughs) We go out for an evening sit, and Boardman packs an insurmountable amount of gear. I don't sporting know what you're goods store. I had one backpack. <laughs> this is nothing new. No. This is nothing so new. Somebody, Mark is always over. He's exaggerating. No. We're going to queue up a picture of your giant duffel bag, which, by the way, can hit fit six people in. Anyway. Well, I didn't have it with us. So we have this big production, which Mark is trying to get ready and get Oh, my up. gosh. I should have told the story. This is not true. This is very true. It is he true. But is, after Ryan tells it, we're moving on. He yep. is up and running you know, maybe a little bit late. Anyway, we go out to the spot. Everything's going. We get our guns loaded. We shut the hatch on my SUV, and Mark goes, where's my glove? And we spend the next 10, 15 minutes digging through the truck, looking in the snow, the bushes. Did an eagle carry it away? The hunt is... Uh, <laughs> the, the most hunt likely is, scenario. The hunt, he's, he's literally... He's like, I, I don't know what I can do. And this I'm like... Mark, Mark also gets really <laughs> mad like old in car horn. <laughs> Well, because I'm mad at myself. You always get very mad. I'm like, I will give you my gloves. We need to hunt. We have limited time. It's very cold. (laughs) And he's like, no, I need my gloves. (laughs) Well, uh, when it's 27 below, you should probably have a glove on. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark's glove, after a few minutes of searching, was located in his waist belt. He had tucked it conveniently behind his muff to keep his hand warm so that he could load his muzzle loader. That was it. I have one for Jimmy. Pretty long. Ooh, Jimmy. If the Viper PSD Gen 2 2 to 10 by 32 was a car, what would it be? Please mm. provide a detailed mm. response. <sighs> <laughs> the Viper PST Gen 2 2 to 10 by 32. If it were a car. If it were a car, it would be a BMW M6. Now, here's my reasoning behind that. BMW M6, it's based on the 6 Series, which is based on the 5 Series. The 6 Series is a coupe, if you will. So it's Hmm. two doors based on a 4-door 5 Series, right? So that's how it works. Really, the only difference between the two is how many doors they have. The 5 Series, as you've seen, there's the M5. It's the uh, super sedan out there. It's actually one of the fastest cars to 60 in in America. I don't even actually know. Do they even have a 2-door M6 anymore? Anyway, they used to. It was pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the thing that was so cool about the M6 was that being a two-door, it had that sporty coupe look. It really could, uh, you know, it could go around corners decently well. But also, it was a great grand touring car, so it could make the long-distance journeys quite well as well. Um, so, <laughs> I was struggling for the words there. As well, as well. As well, as well, as well. Indeed, as well. So, you had a two-door coupe that was kind of sporty, could go around corners all right, like an low-power variable. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. close-up stuff. Mm-hmm. And you also have a grand tourer, which could travel long distances, mm-hmm. like a uh, longer-distance wow. scope. So, that is the car that I would choose. Particularly, I would choose the E60-something or another two-door with the V10. Spoken exactly like I imagined. Mm-hmm. Ah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Really as, well, as well, as well, as well, as <laughs> well. Uh, James, uh, real quick. Uh, this answer will dictate the fate of humanity. Okay. SpongeBob or The Simpsons? SpongeBob. Now hold on. There can only be one and why. SpongeBob. Okay, I get That's Simpsons. That's a thing. Simpsons has been on forever, right? So, forever. And I don't, I don't, I'm not just <laughs> ignoring the fact that a lot of our culture and comedy in today's day and age has been dictated by The Simpsons, right? I mean, The Simpsons was a very pioneering show in its day, and now it's still around for a good reason. That said, I find that SpongeBob is a more versatile show because as a kid, I enjoyed SpongeBob. My parents let me watch SpongeBob, whereas Mm -hmm. Simpsons, I had to grow up a little bit before they let me watch it. So I could watch SpongeBob as a kid, but also all my older brothers and my parents could watch it as well, and they enjoyed it just as much as I did because there are some subtle adult-esque humor uh, Mm -hmm. jokes that happen in Spongebob that kids are none the wiser to, but they just laugh at it anyways because mom and dad are laughing. The chocolate. Yeah, exactly. So you (laughs) you have these moments in Spongebob, but the problem with Spongebob is that the creator of Spongebob, Steven Hillenburg, brilliant man, he was an animator, he was a voice actor, he was a marine biologist, he was a professor of marine biology, he was a producer, he was basically everything. He was basically like a really brilliant person who was probably super bored. He's the guy who started SpongeBob by teaching his marine biology students in their class about different characters under the sea by developing his own characters mm-hmm. on the whiteboard. He had Sponge Boy, and then his best friend was a starfish or something like that, and then people told him they sh- he should make it into Patrick. a show. Uh, yes, Patrick. And so he ended up doing that, and he was around for the first four seasons, right? And after the first four seasons, you have this first SpongeBob SquarePants movie, which was a phenomenal film. You should go see it if mm-hmm. you haven't seen it yet. Also, get some precursor by watching the actual first four seasons. The problem was, after he left, it went way downhill. And uh, they just lost a lot of the creativity of somebody so brilliant who could make a show so entertaining mm-hmm. for both kids and adults. So you only have four good seasons of SpongeBob in a movie, whereas with The Simpsons, you have many, 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 many more good seasons. But I have no doubt that if SpongeBob were to go on for as many seasons as The Simpsons did with the original creator, uh, Steven Hillenburg, (laughs) then it would be Hmm. better. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I I do have one last one for Mark. Hmm. You must answer this question. This is quite possibly the only opportunity that I have for you to answer this question. I'm not going to tell you where I shot that deer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, second question. When we were packing up after a week of hunting spring bears in Idaho, I broke out in song. I started singing to you, a song that was in my head. 
you immediately rejected the song and like passionately hated it. Like you, we went from. I'm buddy, actually I'm getting agitated with you just thinking, we making went, me remember it. We went. I from, block it out. We went from buddies that that spent a week of bear hunting together no. to, to enemies in a in no, a moment. not enemies. I just was. I just wanted you to stop singing. What is the name of that song and who sings it? I will not tell you ever. And you life. have to. Here's what we are happened. on there the is, air. Yeah, no, you're not going to just not answer. People I are refu- listening right no, now. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you why I'm not saying I refuse in the tune of that song. No, I won't. People no. have literally been listening all this Somebody time. They've been waiting HR. for. Like we just well, gonna they're going to have to continue waiting. I'm going to. Here's the root of this. My brother and I were going deer hunting in the morning. This song came on the radio. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced when a song comes on the radio like early in the morning and it's stuck in your head the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah. And it was the most. For some reason, it was the most annoying song, and it was in my head the entire day. It ruined an entire day of deer hunting. Coincidentally, I brought this up to my brother. I go, dude, that stupid song's been in my head dude, the he, entire day. He did the he same goes, thing to me. He yeah. goes, me yeah. Yeah. too. No. And he, to this day, that song just that, that agitates same, me. That same white tail hunt? I want to know what song it is. Jameson just came in the room, and so did Catherine. They want to know what song it is. Well, the, the world's going to have to freaked wait. Out. Yeah. What, what song is it? What is it? YMCA. No. Oh, that's no, not no, a no. bad one, though. No, it's like it's a 70s era Song. BG's staying alive. You'll, I, okay. you'll guess it's some. Okay. Oh my gosh, Here's that's another thing. one that would do that. It's it's a school bus song. My school bus that took me to school. My bus driver would play it, and that's where I heard it, and it was stuck in my head. It's say the song. What is the song? And, and we weren't enemies. I wasn't mad. You at know you. the you, song. No. Say the song. Somebody say the song. Somebody say the Mark. freaking song. <laughs> All eyes on you, man. All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. Eric, say, Eric, come on. No, no, we, we, no, have, no. we have more. You this is my only opportunity. Ryan, what song is it? I, okay, well, so Mark did the question? same thing to me, so I don't know what the song is. You guys are the making a big deal out of nothing. I just don't he like one me. song. He's like, great. Now that's going to be stuck in my head the whole time I'm sitting in the stand. The whole time, that stupid song. Yeah, maybe. Do you don't know the song. Do you know what the song's name? I don't. It should have stood out to Mark, what song is it? Eric, can you sing it? I can't. I've tried. Come on, please. No. It's not. It's a song. Probably. It's already going to be stuck like. in your head the rest of the day, no matter if you That's say happening. the name. Or That's not. why I don't even want to talk about it. It's not even a big deal. Let's just go. Mark, one more for you. Why don't you? I ask mean, Jim? maybe you'll. Maybe this will help you calm down a little bit. Ask Jim a question. Mark, you're on once in a <laughs> lifetime Alaskan me. doll sheep hunt with both Remy Warren and Steve Ranella. You don't find make out, me choose. You find out about oh. ten miles in, too far to turn around, into your initial hike, that both Steve and Remy forgot to bring a sleeping bag. But you brought an extra one. <laughs> Odds are, yeah. Who do you offer your extra sleeping bag to, given your undeniable man crush on both of these dudes? Oh, and, and okay, who do you offer your extra one to, and who do you have sleeping yours with yes. you? I guess I have a question for you. Are they the kind that you can zip together? <laughs> no, I don't know. This is like not, I don't even know why you'd ask this, this question. This is a real question. I don't have, this is a real question. I don't have those. I respect both these gentlemen incredibly highly. No, they are is, the utmost of outdoorsmen in the world. You Welcome to, to Diplomatic 2019. My gosh, I you are it. seriously a politician. I didn't realize you had such a promising career on uh, Wall Street. What's the place in Washington, D.C.? I guess Capitol Hill. Wall Street. Wall Street. Answer, answer three. We're going to figure out a way, either alternate or whatever, but everybody's got to stay warm, for God's sakes. So someone's a switch hitter? No. Alternating three? What does that even mean? <laughs> Where did you guys you find guys are a burrito and taco cake? <laughs> Jim, which bear is best? This has gone completely uh, off the rails. Brown bear. Really? Why? Because it's... Bigger claws. I don't... Know. I don't I, I forget the office quote right now. I can't quote it. I can't remember. <laughs> Thanks, Jameson. 
Jameson claims I okay. am incorrect. But I just, I just have one more. I'm very, yep. I'm upset that you right, didn't answer Rick's question. I'm just not going to do it. I'm upset that you didn't answer Rick's question. All right, last question. one. Let's more. see if we can get him to answer something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even in this. I didn't even know this was going to happen, but I just want to see how I answer this. You know surprise. Little known fact about Mark Boardman. <laughs> this, don't look at me like you're mad. This is an accolade to you. A uh, little known fact. Mark is a closet rap aficionado and actually oh. spits rhymes with amazing eloquence. Sir, the microphone's yours. What do you want me to rap about? Come on. You know we were talking about that Chronic album earlier. Whenever I do that, there's curse words in it. They just go with Ryan can things. bleep you out. Ryan. Oh, oh my oh. God. Spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti. 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 Come on. There God. you go. <laughs> Ruben was talking about my sweating earlier. Now I really am sweating. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. You guys make me nervous. <laughs> All right. Let's eat the cake. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Where'd Taco, you guys get burrito, this, by the way? What's Can that coming out of your speedo? It's impressive. Whoever. <laughs> <laughs> did you make this? Ryan, MC Ryan made these you cakes. Made this, what? this is amazing. No. This okay. Is, this is this is amazing. Oh all right, gosh. Eric's already got his headset off. Thanks everybody for lasting a hundred episodes with us and all of our nonsense. We appreciate it, and uh, stay tuned for hopefully yeah another hundred. <laughs> all right, bye everybody. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field. Or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.